Good afternoon, dear listeners. You are listening to 2XX Subject ACT on your people-powered radio, 2XX 98.3 FM. Subject ACT is dedicated to news and current affairs from a curious and informed perspective. And what better way to talk about politics than with a politician or politician-to-be? We shall see come May. Uh, I'm speaking here today with Dr Penny Kebers, who is running for the uh, federal, uh, one of the federal Senate seats uh, up for grabs in the ACT, running for the Australian Greens. And I have you here, Penny. Welcome to Subject ACT. Hi, Nathan. Thanks so much for inviting me on. So, Penny, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, who are you? Talk a little bit about yourself and uh, your politics and kind of your interests, what you want to bring to uh, the next uh, federal parliament. Sure. I mean, I, I think I'm probably a bit different than uh, a lot of the federal candidates that you might speak to this election. Um, I'm a lecturer at the ANU in computer science, and I actually got a background as a video game developer. And um, I suppose my expertise and passion lies in the technology space. Um, I have also had some experience working in the Senate. I worked for former Senator Scott Ludlam, um, sadly only for about a month before he found out that he was a New Zealander oh, okay. and had to resign. Right. So that was quite heartbreaking. And then I went on to work for uh, now Senator Jordan Steelejohn, mm -hmm. who took took his place and has been, you know, really amazing, kind of picking up where Scott left off in the digital space, but sure. also his amazing advocacy for uh, disability mm. rights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, as we were mentioning off air, Scott uh, kind of, with his departure, kind of vacated a space that not only the Greens fill, but I think um, that um, is kind of vacant, politically speaking, which is the area of digital rights and uh, all things to do with the internet, which so many people spend so much time on uh, during the day, but we don't really give a lot of thought to. So can you talk about what are digital rights and uh, and just some of the some of the kind of discussions that we should be having uh, contemporaneously around digital rights. Yeah, sure. And I think you're right. Like after Scott left the Senate, to me, I was still kind of working in there behind the scenes, and there was a very obvious void and important voice in that area left in his absence. And that's one of the things that has really kind of driven me to put up my hand to run um, at this election because. Without him, really, all around the parliament, there's no there's no one with that kind of technical expertise and knowledge to talk with authority on all of those digital rights and, um, you know, technology, telecommunications sort of issues. And that's something that I really hope that I'll be able to, to bring to the role. Um, and, you know, just between you and me, I'd be very excited for that person to be a woman as well because mm, I've done a lot absolutely. of work kind of, you know, campaigning for women in technology and, and video games and um, it's really important to have female leaders in that space. Mm. So to talk more broadly about digital rights, I mean, it's about human rights in the digital space. So it, there's been so many issues coming through the parliament and coming through our, you know, our nation and our community recently that have been affected by digital rights. So, you know, sadly, a lot of it happened kind of just after Scott had left as well. So there was the, all of the issues around the encryption legislation yep, or yep. the, the anti-encryption legislation. So in the name of national security or, or anti-terrorism, the government's, you know, 
slammed through this legislation at the end of the last year, right before Christmas, to to force companies to comply with um, their requests for access to encrypted communications. And some of the dangers around those legis- that legislation is it's so broad and open and it just, you know, they can really ask anyone to do anything um, in the name of this legislation. Then there's, there's a lot of really kind of key issues with it. I know it's going through a further review process, but, you know, legislatively, you hope that review process happens before these things are put into law um, and it affects, affects our community and our mm. industry at large. Yeah, yeah. Um, another big thing, at least on my Facebook page among us millennials, I don't know if people over 50 cared uh, that much, but there was this uh, law put through bipartisanly, I should say, if that's a word, uh, around mandatory metadata retention, which means that as far as I understand it, any website that you visit the is it the URL or some sort of marker of that website is recorded and can be accessed by the government? Am I on the right track? So the the, the metadata retention is is a really big issue, and this was actually something that Scott spent a long time mm. campaigning against and fighting against and bringing the issue to light. Um, and you're right, it was done bipartisanly. I don't think that is a word. but um... <laughs> We'll use it for, for this <laughs> evening. That's fine. But, you know, the sad thing about a lot of these issues is that Liberals and Labor are kind of um, complacent and complicit in their total disregard for, for human rights, but also, you know, basic technology and the laws of mathematics when they're ramming these through, things mm. through Parliament. But the the um, metadata retention was more about telecommunications companies and your ISP being required to hold information. So kind of the the information that is about your communications, not necessarily the content of the yeah. communications yeah. itself. So um, who you talk to, how long you talk to them for, you know, uh, who you sent emails to. And there's a lot of things about location data that are unclear as well and kind of not really specifically covered. So it is a really big ongoing concern that that all of these these companies have to hold this information for two years. Mm. Um, and this was done at great government expense. It's still to be seen whether it's actually proved useful in any way, are they actually um, getting arrests out of it? While they're simultaneously calling for more data, they're saying, well, we just don't have the police power, we don't have the people to be actually be able to analyse what we've already got. Yeah, and I suppose uh, just an example off the top of my head, the fact that the uh, Christchurch murderer was able to do what he did, uh, even though all this data is being retained, goes some way to suggesting that perhaps this isn't the best way to go around things. Sure, you know, you know, and they've said that he wasn't on any list anywhere. He wasn't a blip on the radar, um, and that's not because he was using um, encrypted communications. It's it's because they just generally don't have enough police power and enough people to be able to um, track all of the people and all of the potential things that are that are going to ever happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of reminded of, I watched the movie Snowden a couple of years ago about Edward Snowden coming out with um, what the NSA was doing in America. You just get a sense of the sheer amount of data, like how could anyone possibly go through it to find the sorts of stuff that they really like, you know, that rhetorically speaking, they're after. 
Yeah, I mean, it is it is really terrifying just the amount of data that they're collecting and not necessarily with a plan of what they're going to do with it or who's going to have access to it or, um, you know, what it can potentially be used for in the future. Mm-hmm. So is there any merit in the, like, what, what kind of surveillance could there be that um, could keep an eye out for terrorist cells without breaching uh, human rights on privacy? So I think it's about, you know, going through the judicial process. So getting access to a warrant um, and collecting those communications on people who you know that you want to collect them on rather than saying we're just going to cast a broad net, we're going to collect Mm. data, everybody's data for all of their communications in case at some point in time they might do something that we want to go back and have a look at. Right, right. You are listening to Subject ACT on your People Powered Radio Station 2XX 98.3 FM and I'm speaking with Dr Penny Kievers who is running for the Senate here in the ACT. Um, The Greens have come pretty close in the last few elections uh, to grabbing a Senate seat here, um, particularly from, if memory serves, uh, Simon Shake, uh, what was that, nine years ago now, came pretty close to snatching that, uh, that seat. Do you think that this is finally the time that the Greens might grab that seat? Yeah, you're right. We've come really close in the past, both in 2010 and 2013, I think it was, when Simon Shake ran. After all the preferences were kind of sorted out, it was really close in the end. But we do really feel like this is the best chance that we've ever had. Mm. And it's because we've only got two seats in the ACT. So, um, you know, it really comes down to the, the first preferences. And in the past... Um, Labor has got a full a full quota in their own right, and then the Liberals have come very, very close to getting that full quota. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't kind of come down to preferences as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we've seen in recent polling is that the Liberals are way, way down. Mm-hmm. So they're down like sure. 9 or 10%. That full quota is way out of reach. Mm-hmm. And in the last lot of polling we've seen from Unions ACT, there's only about 2.5% between first preferences between the Liberals and between mm-hmm. the Greens and the Senate. And that means we're 100% in the race to win this seat. I suppose there's also something to be said for um, who is given the top Billing, who is given the top ticket for the Liberals, which is Zedza Selger, who was a major player in the leadership spill last year, factionally aligned with the likes of Peter Dutton and Tony Abbott. And I suppose in the more liberal, progressive uh, city of Canberra, that doesn't—that's not starting to—that's not starting to be something that can be ignored. Yeah. So I mean, we know that the Liberals generally are kind of on the nose at the moment, but particularly Zed, I know that Canberrans. Um, they feel quite betrayed about how he's actively voted against the the rights and the interests yep, of the yep. territory on numerous occasions. And I suppose kind of the best indication of that was last year when he voted against the, the territory rights yep. legislation, which, you know, the vast majority of Canberrans want to see um, want to see assisted dying legislation enacted in our assembly. And this vote was just about us being able to have the debate about it in our assembly. Mm. And I think that's what was so kind of um, sad for so many Canberrans that, you know, we're already underrepresented. We've only got two senators and the representation that we have is really failing us. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, 
to go back to all things technology, um, I was reading today that um, the Prime Minister is going to be proposing new uh, legislation or new demands on social media platforms for how they respond to. This is, in, again, in relation to Christchurch, how... Um, the, the the act was uh, broadcast live. Uh, it's, like it's just sickening to even talk about it. But just uh, how social media platforms like Facebook weren't able to crack down on that uh, when they can crack down on all other sorts of things. Um, are, are you familiar with uh, Scott Morrison's proposal? Is that something that the Greens would support? I guess we'd have to go into a bit of detail as to what. I don't have the the details of what he proposed, but I mean, I definitely agree with the sentiment that social media platforms can and should do more. Um, you know, they they say that they don't want to interfere, they don't want to control communications, they don't want to censor, but the truth is that they do they do already do that. So mm. they they really do curate the experience that you're having. They do it for their own yep. motives largely, which is driving you returning to the platform, you clicking on ads, um, driving their revenue. Yeah. So I think there was also um, a comment saying that uh, when it comes to things like advertising, Facebook seemed very, very quick to respond to those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. um, to something like this, like it's just not good enough. Is there is there a role for government to intervene on the way that social media platforms work? I'm talking about regulation. I, I don't think Australia even has any regulation on social media platforms. I might be wrong on that. So, I mean, I think there definitely is there is a role for the government to to regulate in this space um obviously it's a it's kind of a global problem and a lot of these are large multinational corporations so it's kind of hard to pin them down um onto how they're following the legislation and where that legislation is based that they're following but you know we definitely can do more and should do more in terms of how the government is feeding into into that process and there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of different aspects to it i mean there's the fact that you know they're not paying tax in australia mm, yeah. um there's the fact that they're um they're curating the content but not really wanting to take a responsibility for it mm. um, and there's also issues around you know a couple of years ago there was a big inquiry into the future of public interest journalism and the role that social media has played in kind of undercutting um, independent journalism and the, and the funding models associated with that. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different aspects to it. And there's definitely, I think there's why it's so important to have people in the parliament that can think through and, you know, actively engage on all of the different aspects of these kind of complex technology issues. Hmm. Um, platforms like YouTube and Facebook, they uh, more or less act like a public commons, even though they are privately owned. Is there, I don't know, is there room for a debate around how much of uh, Facebook or YouTube should be brought into common ownership or that alternatives could be produced that are commonly owned? So then these sorts of regulations become easier to enact? Yeah, I mean, I would love to see like a, a publicly owned or, um, you know, a community owned social network that is actually working into the interests of the people that are using it. Like they are great platforms for connecting with your friends and sharing your content. You know, I 100% love the aspects of YouTube and the like that are about user created content. You know, there's things like Wikipedia that 
that operate in a much more user-friendly and public interest kind of way, whereas they're, you know, they're user-powered platforms. Mm. But, you know, the problem is that a lot of these platforms, YouTube and Facebook and um, whatever else, are owned by such a small set of absolutely behemoth corporations that have so much power over our lives Mm. and control of our identity and our information and what we see and who we interact with. Mm-hmm. And um, going on to that, I know the American Democratic presidential candidate, well, uh, look, they're in the primary candidate looking to pick a presidential candidate, I should say. Elizabeth Warren has suggested breaking up big tech companies into smaller pieces as a way of breaking up that power that you were talking about. Mm. Is that something that... Um, resonates with your politics? Yeah, I mean, it's not something that we have, I don't think, considered within the Greens, but it's certainly something that resonates with me. I mean, we have a similar sort of approach to the problems that we're having with the big banks, I suppose, and they're, you know, we want to break them up into their different sort of components. So I think a similar sort of approach to the, the power concentration that we're seeing in these these large tech corporations could be something very reasonable to consider. I suppose Australia's not in a place to break up those companies because they are international. Is that Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've got very little power over over them in terms of, you know, what we can require them to do. Sure, sure. You're listening to Subject ACT on FM. I'm speaking with Dr Penny Kiebers, who is running for the Senate in the ACT as part of the Australian Greens. I had a question here about the video games industry. I was speaking with a work colleague of mine today and we were talking about um, the video games industry in Australia. I know one of the big, um, one of the big games of the last decade Bioshock, a lot of it was created in Canberra uh, with 2K, but unfortunately that branch closed down five years ago. Um, what um, What is the state of the industry in Australia and what could you do to foster a lively video games industry locally? What's the role of the government there? Yeah, so interesting. I, I actually worked at 2K Games here in Canberra. It's why I originally moved to Canberra about... 11 years ago. Did you work on Bioshock? I worked on Bioshock too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. That's brilliant. Thanks. So, <laughs> I mean, it was really, it would, it was really great. So like our studio here had quite a big role in, in all of the Bioshock games. And yeah. I think a lot of people didn't realize that no. a no, large yeah. chunk of it was actually developed here in Canberra. Particularly, we had a really, really good tech team and they provided a lot of the kind of foundational support for the technology that went into the game. So, I mean, I think it is a really, it is a really interesting question. Uh, so 2K Games did close a few years ago, and it was actually, I think it was the final large international, what we would call a AAA game studio yeah. that was in Australia that mm. had survived. So what happened was, you know, in the 2000s, um, we had quite a lot of a lot of big companies. So there was Sega and Chrome and THQ and Pandemic and 2K and kind of the list goes on, EA, and then the global financial crisis happened. And suddenly we were not, um, we had kind of been a cheap outsourcing location Uh, for a while, and then suddenly we cost more than even the people in the US did. So the studios started to close down. And it was really sad. You know, I worked for two of those. I worked for Sega Creative Assembly in Brisbane as well in the Total War series of games. So 
it was very sad for you know the industry and for all of the people who are working on those games because it's not just a job it's it's a labor of love yeah um but you know at the end of it we kind of and now we're kind of in this really interesting position in the games industry that we're kind of like all of these phoenixes rising out of the ashes of sure. what were these large you know satellite studios and we've got this really nice creative um new interesting indie studios kind of building yeah. up and and growing up and then hiring more people so it's kind of it started afresh um but it's getting to this kind of state where we do have a sizable industry starting again in australia and um there was also there was previously government funding um mm. actually my husband and i ran a game studio together as well and we received some of this screen australia funding that was in this independent games fund that that was brought in um I think it was in 2013, yeah, but yeah. sadly, when the, the the Abbott governments did their budget of doom in the in the 2014 round, yeah. they just axed it. Oh, so right. it it got I think about a third of the way or half of the way through the grants being given out, yeah. and then it, it was gone. So so what you're saying there was a, an actual grant system for video games? There so, was. Yeah, so okay, some right. were grants and some were investment. Kind of it depended sure. on the size yeah. of, and there were different schemes, but. It was really, really great for yeah. all of the burgeoning indie studios to to take that and to build up and to hire people and to create amazing creative outputs coming from Australia. And we know these these things are good investments. Um, you know, it's better than digging coal out of the ground and burning it, which the government seems happy to pour heaps of money into sure. in subsidies. Yeah. But you know, it's it's really sad that 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 was cut. And actually, Screen ACT. Um, here in Canberra does a bit, but not nothing on the same scale. Um, and Screen Victoria is quite good as well. But the Greens actually want to see that fund returned um, and actually more invested into it. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of consultation with games companies and the um, Game Developers Association of Australia, and we know that what they want is investments to help them grow so they can hire people they want to pay it back and they can pay it back because we've had amazingly successful titles coming yeah. out of australia yeah. you know it's not a gift it's not a charity um it's an important investment investment that we can make in both our digital and our cr creative economies mm -hmm. um the uh post post gamergate there was this um kind of um I don't know, stereotype of video gamers. Um, it, it seemed that the video games culture was really reactionary and sexist and racist, but you're coming from a completely different political perspective. Are, is there a strong progressive uh, political force in the video games uh, industry and in, in the culture? I mean, I think so. I think probably more in the indie scene than there was in kind of these large corporations, okay. as you might expect. Sure, but, yeah. um, you know, I think one thing that we can do to, you know, obviously, as I said before, um, there is a shortage of women, particularly mm, kind of yeah. in games and in technology in general. But one thing we can do is through these investments from the government, we can invest in... Um, diversity and equality initiatives and we can create funds for telling stories creating games about women or involving yep. aboriginal and torres Strait islander people 
to kind of help the industry where perhaps they have failed in the past. Yeah. Um, and I think it is it is an issue. Gamergate was horrible, um, and it is something that the industry can definitely grow from and do better in the future. Sure, sure. Uh, you are listening to Subject ACT on X 98.3 FM. I'm speaking with Dr Penny Kiebers, who is running for the Senate here in the ACT uh, as a candidate for the Australian Greens. We're quickly running out of time, but I noticed as well that um, you uh, have interest in AI and I wanted to quickly bring up uh, automation. Uh, what, what's, what's the Greens Party's response to the incoming... Uh, is it a threat or is it has it been overblown? Uh, I'll, I'll let you take the reins on uh, the issue of automation. Sure. I mean, I think... It's a threat and an opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, it's we're in what is referred to as the fourth industrial revolution. Right. So it's the coming together of um, software, so cyber, cyber physical systems, so computer systems and our physical world. Um, and we're rapidly seeing change where we haven't really seen kind of this kind of acceleration before in previously in previous industrial revolutions. So. Things are going to change, but, you know, there will be losses of jobs, jobs will change, but ideally we'll invest in technology, we'll, you know, build proper infrastructure mm. and we will get ahead of the curve and we will ride the wave. Um, sadly, we're kind of already a long way behind this. Yeah, and, right, okay. you know, the legislation, even the legislation like the anti-encryption stuff has made it even harder for us to develop and to export technology within Australia. Mm. A lot of companies overseas are very wary of what comes out of Australia. Oh, and, I see. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it is actually a very, very big risk to our industry, um, to the technology industry in general. But, yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of you have to you have to consider that there are threats and that there will be change, but... You know, we're not helpless. We're not complicit. We can we can do something about it, and we can choose to do something about it. We need to look to the jobs of the future. Mm -hmm. Education plays a very big role in that. Sure. Um, you know, at the moment, we, it's hard to even say what those jobs are going to be like in mm. thirty or fifty years' time. But you know, we really do need to invest in all levels of education and re-education so people can, you know, go back and learn new skills yeah, right, that they yeah. can apply within their jobs or, or or gradually change their jobs to keep ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um, I've been speaking with Dr. Penny Kiebers, who is, as I mentioned before, running for a uh, Senate seat here in the ACT as part of the Australian Greens. Uh, lastly, Penny, I want to uh, give you the opportunity to make a pitch to the listeners out there, to the good folk of Canberra, why they should give their vote to you. Thanks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... I'm pretty confident that after this election, there's going to be a Labor government. And I suppose the question I would put to everybody out there is, what kind of Labor government do you want? So we really need to get as many Greens as possible into the Parliament so that we can pull Labor in the right direction on issues that we know really matter to people in Canberra, like taking real and immediate action on climate change, um, investing in... Um, reinvesting in our public services mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 
um, taking action to have integrity in politics. So we have transparency and accountability about what is actually happening up there on the Hill. I've been speaking with Dr Penny Kievers. Thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us on Subject ACT. Thanks for having me. And you can find this interview and many others on our uh, SoundCloud page, also on the iTunes store, and also chuck us a like on Facebook. Yes, we're still all on the social media platforms. Um, stay tuned for more quality programming on your people-powered radio station, X 98.3 FM.